Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Baseball America Draft podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined by Peter Flaherty, as always, on these draft shows. Today is September 14th. It started to cool down a little bit in my neck of the woods, Peter. Uh, looks like fall is certainly coming or here. How, how are you doing, man? How's the weather up there in Boston or in Massachusetts, I guess I should say? Everything's doing great. Uh, the weather, honestly, it might be a little bit of a hot take. I'm a, I'm a huge summer guy. Um, mm. But the last week, it's been incredibly and oppressively humid. So I'm excited for whenever the cold front moves through for it to cool down and for it to actually feel like fall. Um, but I think that'll come tomorrow. Yeah, today for us in, in Northern Virginia is like the first day it's been like 65 in the morning and I didn't really notice that humidity, which is typically more common down here in this area of the country. I'm surprised to hear about the humidity up there. Do you, do you guys get humidity consistently or has it just been kind of an unusual stretch of that for you? Because I, I typically think of like North Carolina, Georgia, Florida for humidity, not Massachusetts. <laughs> In the summer, a little bit, but nothing too oppressive or tropical. Like the last week, it's just been, it's been gross to go outside. So it'll be a welcome change for it to actually start to feel like fall a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, I've definitely grown more on, on the fall weather as I've gotten older. My wife is also a huge summer fan, so she's going to be ticked when it starts to cool down. But, you know, I welcome it. We get postseason baseball. Um, we get hoodie weather, which is always fun. But enough about the weather. Let's move on to the National League East draft reviews. Um, last last week's episode, we finished up our American League draft reviews with the AL West. This week, we are starting with the NL East. Um, maybe timely, the Braves just locked up their sixth division title in six years, which is pretty impressive. I was kind of lamenting the fact that it's so unfair in baseball that, that someone like Ronda Cunha Jr., has never done anything but win his division. And then we have Mike Trout, who in 13 or 14 seasons in the big leagues has only won the division a single time. But that's baseball, I suppose. Um, I guess let's get right into these reviews. We'll start with the Braves, since they're at the top of the division. We'll go Braves, Phillies, and Marlins, Mets, Nationals for this week's episode. Uh, and we'll just get right in it. I think all these teams have some fun players to talk through, some interesting draft strategies, and, and like all the divisions, it's kind of nice doing this division-by-division division breakdown because everyone is picking in a different part of the draft, which just keeps things interesting. I feel like it would be a little bit more boring if we went straight down the board. But uh, enough digression from me. First-round pick for the Braves was uh, Hurston Waldrop, a right-handed pitcher out of Florida, 24 overall. In the second round, the Braves took Virginia Tech right-handed pitcher Drew Hackenberg. In the second supplemental round, or I should say... Uh, 
a comp pick after the second round. They took Campbell, right-handed pitcher Cade Keeler. In the third round, the team took Oregon shortstop Savin Ceballos. In the fourth round, uh, Florida high school right-hander Garrett Ballman. In the fifth round, Georgia high school outfielder Isaiah Drake. Uh, so that's how the Braves kind of went um, on the, the draft theme that I put on the team this year was flamethrowers, just a ton of pitchers that get into the upper 90s with their fastballs. I believe eight of the pitchers that the team took inside the top 10 rounds have at least touched 96 miles per hour. Now maybe it's a little bit more common for all pitchers who are drafted to be touching those velocities, but um, the Braves are certainly a team that has not shied away from hard-throwing pitchers and gotten a lot out of them in recent years, and they took uh, a good collection of those pitchers in this year's draft, highlighted by Kirsten Waldrop, who I know we've talked about a lot on this podcast uh, throughout the spring, just some of the best pure stuff in the class. But what did you think about this draft, Peter? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I think that pitching was the theme here for Atlanta. They went out and got arguably, oh, it, it's tough to compare him to Skeens, but I think that in terms of arm talent and upside, Waldrop is right there with Skeens in terms of what he can do in a major league rotation, especially in Atlanta. Um, you hint, you, you touched on it, but I mean, there's an argument he made. He's got four plus pitches with his fast ball. Uh, both his slider and curveball are, are borderline double pluses, especially the slider. And then I think that the split changes is, is also double plus. He really kills spin and it, and it fall. It really just falls off the table as it approaches the plate. He's got an athletic delivery, super quick arm. And I mean, they've been pretty aggressive with moving through the system early and the early returns have been excellent. And, and he's shown he can handle it through 21 innings, 31 Ks to 12 walks um, in his first couple of starts in Mississippi and double a controls a, been a little bit of an issue with six walks and six innings, but still getting strikeouts. Um, and it's important to keep in mind, this is after he threw 102 innings this spring at Florida. So mm. um, might be a little tired, but I, I, I think that Waldrop is someone who can be an impact arm in that rotation as as soon as next year, honestly. And and like so many of these guys with the Braves, I think he's got, and it's a, a bold statement, I think he has Cy Young-type upside um, in him. And just sheer arm talent, I'd put him right there with Skeens um, overall. Yeah. And, then, and then with I Hackenberg, think, yo, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to mention the Braves just being really aggressive with their pitchers. I mean, they've, they've kind of developed a reputation for pushing players quickly through the system. Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, A.J. Smith-Shaver, uh, all recent names who really just flew through the system. I think Waldrop has the sort of stuff uh, to be able to do that, especially depending on what role they want to use him in. I definitely think he is a starter, and the Braves are, are obviously going to um, develop him as a starter, but he's got the stuff that would really play in a bullpen role if they find like they need that as they're com- competing. Uh, I don't know why he couldn't at least start in the bullpen and then work into a, a starting role down the line, just depending on what the team actually needs. The Braves are also one of the more aggressive teams in assigning pitchers post-draft and really having them get into pro ball and log a lot of innings. They have six players who have thrown 14 or more innings this year in pro ball they're mostly the college guys Corey wall riley goins mitch ferris riley frey hurston waldrop and then lucas braun i just want to mention him really quick sixth round pick he's already up to 27 innings and they're pretty tremendous it was 32 strikeouts five walks 22 hits allowed on 2.67 era 
Um, so they're not they're not afraid of getting these guys in the system and and letting them continue to throw. So it's definitely pitcher heavy. It's a lot of stuff, and we're already seeing a lot of these guys in action, which is not super common, I would say, with this later draft date. There are a lot of teams that just shut most of their guys down, uh, don't really have them get activated again, and and certainly not a lot of teams that are throwing these sort of double digit innings totals for college pitchers. Right, exactly. I, I like how they get him going, um, get him used to what a potentially super, super, super heavy workload is going to look like, um, and to kind of have them keep throwing as a, excuse me, as opposed to shutting down. But moving on to Kuehler, I think that, or or Hackenberg rather, I think that while there was some reliever li- risk with Waldrip, um, they're going to let him start for as long as he can physically handle it or as long as he's effective because they're not going to, I mean, no one's going to pick a reliever and give a reliever $3 million um, 24th overall. So yeah. I think that they envision him as someone who can potentially be a, a front end of the rotation starter sooner rather than later. But with Hackenberg, um, he was another guy that I knew would go reasonably early, maybe in the third or fourth round. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't totally expect to see him picked on day one. Um, He's a sinker slider guy. Bowling ball sinker was 93-96. Slider is an above average pitch. Was was Virginia Tech's workhorse for the two years that he was there. Um, above average, I'd say command and control of each of his offerings. Um, and there isn't the, the upside and excitement that there is with Waldrop, I guess, around the, the pure stuff. Um, but he can really pitch. He's durable. He's a high mileage arm. Um, I'd say it's, it's third or fourth starter upside, realistically fourth starter upside. And again, you mentioned getting these guys in their system and moving them. He was excellent in Augusta and single a Augusta. Um, and then they promoted him to, to double a Mississippi, um, where he's, he's just started. So, um, again, they're moving him quick. And then with Keeler, I think that there might be the most reliever risk of the three here with Keeler. Um, but again, they took him at the very, very end of day one. He was outstanding at Campbell. Um, the fastball's got excellent, excellent shape. He's got short arm action. The slider kind of, it almost looks and acts like a cutter at times. Um, but I mean, it's up to 98, 99 with, with outstanding shape and they'll kind of mix in a cutter and a, in a change up eventually. So yeah. I, I, I think that, are... no, I, I was just okay. going to say, I think that he's got the most reliever risk of the three. Um, but mm-hmm. again, when you look at just the sheer upside, um, he's, he's got some of the most in the draft of any arm, it's just going to be a matter of refining the secondary stuff and, and, and making sure you can start. Yeah, he, he definitely has been more of a below average strike thrower in the past, raise the ball a little bit. I know I know people have critiqued the delivery um, in the past as well, but the stuff is really loud. You mentioned the fastball shape. It, it had some of the best rides in this class, I think. And I really liked the adjustments he made to that slider this spring. It seemed like he shortened up the shape of the pitch, went, to, went from a slider that had a little bit of sweeping action to more of like a, a gyro slider that at least last spring with Campbell, he he did throw that pitch better or more consistently for strikes. And I think pairing that fastball shape with his riding fastball is a good combination. And if he's able to throw a shorter breaking slider for a strike more often, I think that only helps him and can help his stuff play up. What I also think is fascinating with these first few picks for the Braves is the bonuses they were able to secure them for. Um, I think the first two were a little surprising. I was surprised just in the first 
part that Hurston Waldrop even got to number 24 to the Braves. I really expected him to be off the board among the top 20 picks, especially considering that, that I viewed Waldrop as kind of the last player who was in that top tier of college arms. Once he was gone, I thought there was a pretty big drop-off. So to see him get to 24 was surprising to me. And then seeing the bonus he signed for was $273,000 under slot at 24. So I think like while the draft was unfolding, this was one of my favorite picks of the draft, just pairing this sort of arm talent with a player development group that has done such a great job getting the most out of their arms. And then you add on that signing bonus and I like it even more from the team's perspective. And then with Hackenberg, I really think his signing just goes to illustrate like how important leverage actually is in the draft. Like you said, I think I expected him to come off of the board in the third or fourth round range. He goes in the second, and he also signs over slot for almost $630,000. He's a draft eligible sophomore. I think that just highlights how important leverage can be. He, he had more of that kind of leverage. I can go back to school uh, to play than a lot of these other college juniors who, if they do that, they're, they're going to come back next year with next to no leverage. So that was just kind of interesting. The Braves were also one of the most aggressive teams this year when targeting senior signs at the back of day two. They were one of two teams who signed a player uh, who they drafted for just $1,000. That was 10th rounder Pierre Olivier, Olivier Boucher. I probably butchered that name. I apologize. But um, they also had a couple players who signed for just $50,000. So I'm always interested in the financials. That helped them pay for over slots to Drew Hackenberg and the high schoolers they took in the fourth and fifth round with Garrett Bauman and Isaiah Drake, who are kind of toolsy, interesting, more projection types than the bulk of their draft class this year. So it's a really fascinating one. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and Atlanta's another team, especially um, re- recently, where, where anyone that they pick is always going to kind of pique your interest a little bit in terms of how they develop them and, and their track record, obviously, of success um, with these homegrown guys. And then I think in the fourth round, or the excuse me, the third, rather, Sabine Ceballos was, um, he had, it was his first year at the Division One level. He was outstanding at, at, uh, junior college powerhouse San Jacinto, um, but ended up hitting 333 for Oregon with 10 doubles, 18 home runs. He's a super, super physical kid. Um, he's got a, I'd say, plus raw power to all fields. It's very interesting. He's got a, a cannon of an arm um, and was a converted catcher. Um, he mm-hmm. moved from catcher to third base. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they want to maybe try him out behind the plate again, try and develop the catching because he's got a, a plus throwing arm um, over a third, and he's also got a plus throwing arm behind the plate. So a little bit of an interesting wrinkle there with Ceballos as to where they want to use him. But I think a pick on yeah. on day two that stood out to me that they got. I saw him. Super... No, you can go ahead. Yes, I was just saying I saw him at the combine, and the raw power he showed there was extremely impressive. He is a massively physical player um, that helps his power, does not help him get out of the box or, or get moving on the field. He's a pretty slow runner. And so I am really intrigued with the, the kind of catcher conversion aspect of it, if he'll get any time. So far, he's only played third base in DH in pro ball. And it's weird because he was selected as a shortstop. Again, there have been a, there have been a number of players who were selected as shortstops in this draft that I, I don't fully understand because I don't, I don't think there's any scenario where he plays shortstop in pro ball. Um, I'm not sure, again, that, that might be some sort of error, but weird that he's assigned as a shortstop for the draft. Yeah, Maybe I mean, at least with me, me, I was going to say, at least with me personally, he's not a shortstop. 
And I think that they're going to keep him over a third until there's a reason to move him, whether or not the defense kind of backs up or, you know, whatever the body might back up a little more. But he's just, again, super physical. The raw power, I think, here is the carrying tool. It's power over hit, which in today's game, that's honestly most, if not every single player. So um, one of the better college bats available at the time um, that they went out and got. And then, like you mentioned, they targeted these older guys, these more experienced guys on day two, big time money savers. I think one that stood out to me was William and Mary right-handed pitcher, Corey wall that they got in the eighth Mm. Um, spent most of his time in the bullpen for the tribe, but 63 K's across 52 innings pitch with only 11 walks. He's a, I think a rare combination of a guy that is a strike thrower, but he's also got really good stuff. The fastball's up to, he, he'll pitch in the two to four range, touch a five and a six. It's got good carry through the zone. Um, the slider slash plus the, re, the, the future is absolutely in the bullpen with wall, but again, he's got pretty good pure stuff and, and he's had a track record of, of throwing strikes. So um a, a combination that i think bodes well and someone that they might have you know hit on for super super cheap on in in late day two mm-hmm. yeah one of the one of the players that i liked on day two kind of going in the opposite direction they clearly saved some money and over went over slot for isaiah drake um who, who's one of the hitters that stands out and just a pitcher heavy class i think it's also you look at the brave system and and they just don't have many bats to get you really excited they traded away justin henry malloy last offseason who was one of the most exciting bats in the farm system so adding a a high upside athletic talented player like drake and throwing him in the low minors and just kind of seeing what comes of him i think is fascinating talking to scouts this spring you heard about just the speed he's top of the scale runner he has some tools the approach was questioned at times, uh, gets pull heavy at times. I think just developing uh, a better understanding of what pitches to hit, what pitches to lay off of was a common criticism for him. But he was also one of the most impressive players for me, again, at the combine in the workout uh, scenario or, or setting, and then also in the high school game. Like He really barreled the ball against pretty good live pitching in-game, is young for the class, has a chance to be an impact defender. Again, needs to improve the route, uh, the routes he's taking in the outfield, reason instincts. But I think he's just a fascinating toolsy and athletic projection play. Um, probably pretty large degree of variance with this pick, but I think it's a, the sort of talent that you want to see in a system that has been pretty thinned out over the past few years and in the middle of a draft class that is much heavier on the pitching side. So that's a fun one and maybe a name to keep in mind for Braves fans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think shifting focus to day three, obviously the theme I think here with um, Atlanta was pitching. Um, So I think a guy that intrigues me a little bit in the 19th round is Riley Fry from Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, Left-handed pitcher who was the the Panthers go-to starter this spring. Um, Looking at the back of the baseball card, there aren't a ton of numbers that are going to jump out at you. Um, It's not crazy loud uh, strikeout numbers. It's not outstanding control, but he was excellent this summer in a brief sit on the Cape prior to the draft, used primarily out of the bullpen. Um, Early returns have been pretty positive in terms of, uh, again, just strike throwing at the affiliate level. Um, 24 Ks to just five walks in 18 innings pitched with Augusta. Um, And he'll sit really just 88 to 91, 92 with the fastball. 
Um, he'll supplement it with a slider that flashes above average. Um, it's, it's really, I think, fifth starter type upside. Um, but again, when you're looking for the some of the late, late round guys that are going to hit, especially in Atlanta's draft, um, I think that Riley Fry was um, a, a guy that intrigued me the most. Yeah, that's a good one. I think that's all I have on the Braves. Any other players you want to mention before we move on to the Phillies? No, I, I, I think we hit on it perfect. Cool. All right, we will keep moving. Um, Philly picked number 27 here at the back of the first round. Um, didn't have a second round pick, didn't have a fifth round pick. So they're one of the teams where we don't have as many players to talk through early in the draft. But they did take Aiden Miller, shortstop out of Florida High School. Again, another player selected as a shortstop. We had him as a third baseman. I think he is a third baseman. Uh, but an infielder selected out of Florida in the first round. In the third round, they took... Hawaii infielder Devin Saltivan. In the fourth round, they took IMG Academy outfielder Tayshawn Walton. And I'll throw one more in here just so we get another player uh, for the Phillies. Sixth rounder, they took Minnesota right-handed pitcher George Klassen. Um, for the Phillies, uh, I thought what stood out to them is a lot of the players they took early on were high school bats. They invested very heavily in high school hitters who did not have a lot of history or at least had pretty uh, big gaps in their high school history, whether that was from injuries, as was the case with Aiden Miller during the spring and Tayshaun Walton over the showcase circuit, or Devin Saltibon, who just seemed more of a, a late riser um, that I didn't have a lot of history on. Now, that, that's not to say that the Phillies didn't, but just not very, I guess, consensus players that you felt confident in their track records outside of maybe Miller he was prominent enough that I think most people felt good about his hit power combination and just track record overall as a hitter and then you look at the pitchers they took it's a ton of power arms with big control questions and I feel like George Klassen is just the, the perfect guy to um, sort of highlight that there are a number of players who fit that mold Cam Brown in the 10th round out of TCU Marty Gare in the 13th round out of Florida Southwestern. Um, a number of other pitchers that kind of fit into that mold, but those three I think are are the biggest ones. So it was a very, I would say the Phillies took on a lot of risk in this draft class, just given some of the profiles they went after, but I really appreciate it. It feels like the Phillies are a team that just take the best player available regardless. Um, and I think Aiden Miller at 27 to start things off is, is pretty great value because again, I think he was regarded as one of the best hit power uh, players in the high school class. Like after Walker Jenkins, I'm not sure how many other players you can be as excited about both their hitting ability and power potential, that, that combination for the offensive profile. So what do you think about uh, this Phillies draft? Yeah, I mean, you'll be more well-versed on the three high school kids um, than I will, but Miller was a pick that I liked, um, especially at 27. You mentioned the, the track record of performance as a kid who can really hit. Um, he's, I'd say pretty physical where the hit power combination is, um, pretty impressive for a high school player. It's mm. big time hand speed barrels really moving through the zone. And I think that at least from what I saw, it was an, at least an above average arm borderline plus that's going to allow him to stick at third long-term, mm -hmm. which I think is a key. Um, and then with Saltabon, I actually, I, I, I don't know too, too much about him. Like you said, I just know he's a a guy that rose pretty late. And then with Walton, I know he's, he's been a name for a while now. He's mm. uh, as, as physical as they come um, <laughs> again, there's, there's questions like you said with the health and staying healthy, but 
um, super, super physical kid. And it, it's a big time upside play. Yeah. And you don't, you don't really go under the radar too much. If you're at IMG Academy, um, part to kind of sneak under the radar there, but all three of those guys in their pro debuts, um, Walton's is not a huge sample, but it was pretty loud in his 17 plate appearances. He hit a triple, he doubled twice, an OPS over 1,200. Uh, Saltabon looked good. Aiden Miller got 80 plate appearances, uh, hit 303, 425, 379. Um, so that looked pretty good. Good strikeout to walk rate for him. You mentioned the hand speed of Aiden Miller. I think that is one of the, the things I'm most excited about with him. He, he had really electric bat speed, maybe some of the best just pure bat speed in the class. And his swing, it's not the, the prototypical swing that you maybe would teach people. There is a pretty significant hand hitch and barrel tip in his load. But I think, and this was the case with really all the scouts I asked about this, they had no issues with it. It's almost more of a timing mechanism for him. And he has such fast hands that he's able to kind of get away with that movement. And it looks pretty good when it's when it's synced up and on time, even though it's maybe more moving parts than you would describe as like a picturesque swing. Um, just his impact, his swing decisions, I was always really impressed with. I, I agree with you about uh, the arm strength. I would I would say it's a plus arm for him. He's old for the class, 19 on draft day. Would have been a draft eligible sophomore in 2025 if he did make it to campus, but I don't really get too worried about that for, for impact talents uh, of the sort that we're talking about with Miller. Um, but yeah, let's move down the board a little bit, getting some of these college players. Um, just the financials again, Philly seemed to play this relatively straight up. There weren't too many huge over-underslot uh, signees that you see with some other teams. Again, maybe that's because they didn't have a second rounder, they didn't have a fifth rounder. kind of limits how creative you're able to get. But I do think that if I was running a draft, I would like to play things straight up. So I appreciate this sort of uh, line of, of strategy for the Phillies here. Yeah, and and you mentioned the arms that they took. It was interesting. There weren't a ton of guys that are pitchability type of uh, of pitchers, especially looking at Classen and mm. and Jake Eddington. Even like you said, Marty Gare. I think Classen is probably the the mo- most famous, I guess you could say, of yeah. of the arms that they took. Uh, most notably, was up to 102 in the Northwoods League uh, Major League Dreams Showcase. I think they call it. Um, whatever their all-star game is, he was up to 102 in the summer of 2022. Um, strike throwing has always been a huge issue for him. Uh, I think his, his, his freshman year, it was, he, he missed most of it or all of it, but sophomore year came back. It was borderline 20 command. Um, wasn't quite 20 command this year. I, it was more like a, a 30, but they they transitioned him to a starting role instead of him throwing out of the bullpen in 13 starts he only struck out 49 across 56 innings pitched and walked 47 i'd say those are are really unimpressive numbers i hate to to nitpick like that but um those are super super peter you're fine Um, but again, the fastball, if you look at the velo on it, it's, I mean, he'll pitch with it 96, 99 touch hundred and 101 rather regularly, but there's, he gets no misses with it. It only had a 17% miss rate this year. Um, the slider super inconsistent and you mentioned the control or lack thereof. Um, and it's a dangerous, dangerous equation. I think with class and in terms of, of, you know, potentially having a pan out. I think that the future is definitely in the bullpen region. Just say, okay, 
you're going to be a fastball slider guy because the slider from what I saw, especially in the Northwoods, I mean, a few that he threw and ripped off had some serious teeth where they had solid plus um, shape and action where I think you just say, okay, go to the bullpen, fastball slider. You're going to be one of the more effective relievers at the Meyer league level. We're going to try and get you to that point. Um, I think that's the play with class. And then with Eddington, similarly, it was, um, 40 walks and I think 58 innings this year, um, or 55 innings, I think at Missouri state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, with Eddington again, fastball up to 98 only missed miss rate of 17. So, um, a couple of interesting picks back to back. I do like getting Bryson Ware in the eighth. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, college hitters with a track record of performance, especially with Ware doing it in the sec um, he had 350 this year with 24 bombs. Um, I know that there's been some serious swing and miss early on in Clearwater, but um, I think that they they got him for only 150,000. So um, that was a guy that I liked. And then in the ninth, not to talk about every single day one pick or day two pick rather, um, but Avery Owusu Asiedu, um, 6'4", 230 pound outfielder from Southern from southern illinois edwardsville not the salukis um he he was i think a late riser at least like in terms of the the general public finding out about him he's a he was a data darling this year um super super physical batted ball data was really impressive plus runner who's still 24 bags he was a guy that popped up late where people i think were were kind of like whoa you know who is this guy um and i so far again he's only been at the complex which he he just turned 20 so i think he's young for the he's pretty young for the class he's a three-year college guy um he turned 20 i think right before the draft and uh modest numbers so far but um again i think that there's some interesting upside here with um Yeah, a few late late players that I wanted to talk through a little bit more. Cam Brown being their final pick on day two is interesting. I got to see him in high school when he really probably was the best he's been in his time as like a nationally known prospect. It was like an electric three-pitch mix. I think I actually saw him at the first um, PDP league that was at IMG Academy. Uh, and he looked phenomenal. Just like three pitches that looked like above average offerings. Physical frame. He was like putting all of them in the zone, really mixing and matching well. The next spring, it was the 2020 shortened season. He didn't look quite as electric. Um, And so maybe if it was a normal year, he would have kind of evened things out, gotten a little bit better, and maybe not even gotten to campus. Uh, But he did get to campus, never really showed the same feel that I saw uh, the first time I saw him in person. Um, I think the stuff is still pretty loud. It's up to 97 with the fastball. The command is erratic. The slider had a pretty good whiff rate, mid-80s pitch, uh, pretty good spin and two-plane break at times. Uh, he needs more refinement of that pitch. I think it's an upper, upper 80s changeup with, with pretty good run and life. That also looks like a solid pitch. He just doesn't control them very well. In college, his walk rate was almost uh, 6 per 9. And then in a very brief pro debut this summer, you kind of saw that control rear its head. It was 8 walks in just 1.2 innings for Cam Brown. It's obviously the big question with him. If he can throw that stuff for strikes, I think there is upside here, Um, but we just have a pretty long track record of him now struggling to do that. Another bat that I don't think is a, or was a really prominent showcase 
pony type is 11th rounder Caden Hedinger um, out of California catcher I I just watched some of the swing on video I'm really fascinated with it it's quick and whippy and powerful um, I think he does a good job getting a lot of force into the swing just a fascinating actual swing for me the fact that he's a catcher maybe he can stick behind the plate he's gonna need to improve at the position um, but the bat speed and pitch recognition skills that he's shown are really fascinating to me for a day three high school player who they got to sign, which they did sign everyone in this class, but, but getting a player of this sort of talent at the position, another guy who's a little bit older for the class, he's 19 on draft day, like Aiden Miller, so clearly the Phillies aren't too concerned about the age question. Um, he's a fascinating one. Then Marty Gare, I mean, it's hard not to mention Marty Gare. He was throwing... 98 99 miles per hour in high school out of the charlotte area in north carolina um, has very little feel for where that ball is going the secondaries are erratic he has shown a, a solid slider at times but it's inconsistent both in terms of um, just shape and location um, so he's kind of another of these really impressive arm talent pitchers that that really need to learn how to be actual pitchers so there are a lot of interesting names throughout this draft class that I'm fascinated by. Um, I don't think there are a lot of really safe picks that you can feel great about. I mean, maybe the safest pick here is either Miller, depending on what you think of that profile, or maybe Bryson Ware, who they took in the eighth round. So uh, it's a really fun draft class, uh, certainly for an observer who, who doesn't have any investment in it personally. In, ter in terms of looking at who might be the safest here, I, I would agree with you and probably taking Aiden Miller, which um, very rarely do you kind of circle the high school bat that you took as your, your safest bet. Um, who was injured all spring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who didn't even play the spring, but um, no, a, a really interesting class. Gare was a guy that I was going to hit on. As you mentioned, it's thunderous stuff. He just has no clue where it's going and, um, really lacks polish, but it's supreme arm talent. Um, and if they can get him to figure out how to throw strikes, clean up the operation a little bit, um, he's, he, he's got a chance, but, um, Brandon Beckel in the 12th is probably the day three pick that I like the most, um, was Texas tech's best reliever this year. Um, 2.2 ERA with 67 Ks and 48 innings pitch fastball again, um, was pitched 93 to 96, pretty comfortably, um slider was the best off-speed offering i think it was a plus pitch had a 46 percent miss rate um so i think that again when you're looking towards safest picks it's kind of crazy you've got the high school bat who didn't play this spring in the first round or you've got a college reliever in the 12th or i guess you could say bryson Ware as well but in terms of the pitching side the safest may have been a college reliever in the 12th which um speaks to the <laughs> uniqueness of the phillies draft class but yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of high ceiling, low floor guys. So um, if they hit on even a few of them, it's going to look pretty impressive in, in a handful of years. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, and, and I appreciate this sort of draft strategy. They're a team that's obviously really invested in high school right-handers in the first round in recent years. That's not a demographic that everyone likes to play with. And in a league where it seems like teams are getting more and more risk-averse, I, I appreciate the teams that, that don't mind taking on some risk and the talent, the tools, and the athleticism you, you kind of get in exchange for that. So... Uh, I'm on board. I hope some of these picks pan out so more teams maybe will decide to get a little bit more risky in the draft because, you know, it's just more fun that way. But let's move on to the Marlins. Um, 
one of the most fascinating draft classes, I think, of the entire league. A team that I probably was the most wrong on when, when looking at projecting their first round. It really felt like all of the talk around the Marlins at pick number 10, really for probably a month leading up to the draft, was hitter, 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 hitter. Um, some people were like, oh, they're definitely going to do college hitter, college hitter here. They need more hitting in the farm system. A lot of the bats haven't looked great. And they decided to double up on high school pitching with their first two picks. So did the exact opposite of what I expect them to do. But I honestly think I, I really like this strategy a lot for them. I, and our draft reviews that we put out really right after the draft ended, uh, their theme seemed to be play to your strengths. The Marlins... Um, have a pretty strong contrast in success with pitching development versus hitter development. And I think where they're picking in the draft, Noble Meyer very easily could have been the best talent overall on the board. So taking him is good regardless of your, your track record, I think. And then getting a player like Thomas White at number 35, who I think is another first round talent um, and basically locking up the elite high school pitchers of this class as an organization that's done a really great job developing arms, I think is is awesome. Now, maybe you want to diversify the farm system a little bit. Maybe you'd, you'd want to take some hitters, but they've taken some hitters high up in this range in the past, and it hasn't really worked out too well between Khalil Watson, Jacob Berry so far. So I kind of like playing to your strengths and, and taking this sort of elite talent that you get with players like Noble Meyer and Thomas White. But uh, to run through their first five rounds really quickly, obviously Noble Meyer at 10, Thomas White at 35, in the second round, they took uh, Mississippi outfielder Kemp Alderman. They took Michigan State first baseman Brock Radenberg in the third. They took Emmett Olsen, pitcher out of Nebraska, in the fourth. And then they took Andrew Lindsay, another pitcher out of college, in the fifth round, uh, him out of Tennessee. So that's kind of how they went in the top five rounds. What are your thoughts on the Marlins? I think that we share the same sentiment with being excited about the fact that they got both Noble Meyer and Thomas White. I think it's hard not to be heading into the draft. They were kind of talked about as the top two, arguably in terms of sheer talent prep arms. Um, I know a handful went before white, um, but they were kind of talked about for most of the cycle as one a and one B um, um, in terms of prep arms. I think that, I was super excited when they got Meyer uh, 10th overall. Like you mentioned, I think that there was an argument he made at the time. He was maybe the best one available on the board. Um, great body at 6'5". He moves well. Um, fastball like 95, 98 it moved, it, with tons of run and ride through the zone. He's got a hellacious high 80 slider that I think is a double plus pitch. Um, spins it routinely in the, the 29 to, to, to 3,000 range. Um, and then I also think that the changeup is a plus, plus offering with tons of fade. And you look at all these ingredients that Meyer brings, and I think that he's a future front of the rotation arm, someone that can be your headliner um, maybe three to five years down the road. And you mentioned the, the, the track record of developing arms, and, and the Marlins have, a, have an underrated, impressive one. Um, so I think that these are two exciting guys. And with Thomas White, um, He's been a name since he was 13 years old and throwing 91 with a gorgeous delivery. He's kept that same delivery through high school. Um, it's really clean. I wonder a little bit um, about the arm action um, and if whether or not it might lead to, um, you know, an injury or, or Tommy John surgery down the road. But again, he's yeah. 
Yeah. He's up to an, an effortless 96 with a curveball that's flash plus. I think the key for him is going to be um, refining the command and control um, and then slowing down a little bit on the mound. I think that the one thing I noticed with him is he gets a little sped up when there's traffic on the bases. I think um, keeping level-headed will go a long way with him. But mm. um, other than that, if he can progress with the strike throwing and continue to add a third offering, um, that'll go a long way with White. Yeah, I like how you described his delivery because I think some people might be a little confused when you said it's like a super easy delivery, but you were also concerned about the arm action. I view it very similarly. It's a it's a pretty lengthy arm action in the back, and I think that that could have some uh, issues with just the timing and the consistency of him repeating his slot. And so hitting on that breaking ball consistently, it does flash plus at times, but I think the changeup uh, at least in the last year or so, has maybe been his most consistent secondary and the one that I'm most confident in. Um, I also think he get, can be a little scattered, but you don't see many pitchers of his size that are throwing upper 90s velocity with with the ease that it seems to come out of his hand. Like There's very little recoil or head whack or movement at all once he's coming through his finish. It really does look like he's just kind of playing a simple game of catch when he's pumping fastballs over the plate. Uh, and so just to get a left-handed pitcher with that sort of arm talent is pretty special. I think the fact that you get him at 35 while also getting a guy like Noble Meyer, who I think has the better combination of stuff and current pitchability, has to make you feel good, even if you did go pretty significantly over slot to get him there. Um, and then maybe adding some college bats behind those guys to diversify your, your portfolio a little bit. But let's move further down the board. Uh, one name that I was really intrigued with on day two, who I know is a name that you like, so I'll just kind of tee him up, is Justin mm-hmm. Storm in the seventh round. I think you kind of highlighted to me in season how unique some of his, uh, just the combination of his pitches and handedness really was. Um, but I'm fascinated in him and, and the pure stuff and getting him with your seventh round pick, I think is is a pretty exciting one. But in addition to Storm, I guess who are some other pitchers who you're intrigued with? Yeah, I, I think circling back a little bit to the bats that they took, um, I can't say I'm the the biggest fan of going Alderman, Vradenberg in the second and third rounds, respectively. They're two guys, at least positionally, that I think at best are probably married to first base. Alderman is... Mm-hmm. You know, the calling card with Alderman is his 70 raw power and the unbelievable impact um, that he has. Yeah. I think his max exit was 119, I want to say. There's a chance it was even 121, <laughs> but at, it was... If you look at the... Um, we plotted exit velocity, contact, and chase, I think, a couple times this year. And if you look at Alderman's plot on that graph, he's basically up and to the far left with crazy exit velocities, but also really crazy contact concerns so it's a ton of power it's not a lot of plate discipline or contact and i even think early on in pro ball we've seen that it's like 39 strikeouts seven walks and 133 plate appearances for him but yeah both him and Bradenberg are very much power oriented corner profiles yeah there's a ton of swing and miss with allerman as you mentioned some approach concerns and honestly the same with Bradenberg. and i think that it may have gotten a little masked with his performance at Michigan state um, to kind of, to kind of paint the picture of who this guy is. He's a towering six foot seven, 230 pound first baseman. Um, he almost looks like a villain in like a baseball movie and rookie of the year. He looks like that guy, except he's not as fat um, who hit the Henry Rowan Gardner 
uh, floater pitch. He's got a much better physical look than that, but he hit 400 this year at Michigan state with 22 doubles and 13 jacks um, more walks than strikeouts, which when looking at the back of the baseball card, you can kind of question maybe why, you know, why the swing and miss and approach might be a little bit of an issue. Um, the miss against, against secondary stuff and chase rate against secondary stuff was a little high um, this spring at Michigan state, especially in the big 10. Um, and this, and, and so far in Jupiter, um, it's kind of exposed itself a little bit. Um, it's 37 strikeouts and 110 at bats. Um, he is still walking at a respectable clip. He's drawn 22 walks. Um, but so far some swing and miss for Vradenberg. Um, but you mentioned Justin storm. It's exclusively fastball slider, um, six foot seven reliever, super, super imposing. Um, at one point, I think he was one of one of one or one of a handful of pitchers in college baseball where the, I'll have to find the exact stat, but it was something about the miss rate on both his fastball and slider. That stat doesn't hold true anymore with um, him ending up at, at still an impressive 28% miss rate on it this mm-hmm. spring um, for a pitch that he threw 68% of the time. Um, but he'll be up to 95, hides the ball really well. Um, I think that, again, getting him in the eighth and viewing him as someone you can develop as a reliever um, I think that you have to be really excited about it. And they got him for 240,000, um, maybe a little bit of a reach, um, money wise, but again, I think that you can always be excited about a six, seven lefty with two plus pitches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they took, they basically had Thomas white as an overslot deal in the supplemental first. They had Vradenberg uh, for a slot exactly in the third. Outside of that, everyone was under slot, uh, essentially to pay for for Thomas White. So uh, that's kind of how they operated financially. See if there's anything else they did money wise that is worth mentioning here. Uh, they were one of the teams that didn't use their full bonus pool, so I guess we could shame them a little bit for that here. They spent uh, 99.5% of their total bonus pool, 12.7, just over 12.7 million. They had 12.8 to spend. So maybe you could argue that they. Could have been a little more aggressive uh, later on. Again, maybe it's tricky when you're taking Meyer and, and Thomas White, um, making sure you have the money to to get White because obviously your class is is reliant on signing both those players. So maybe with high school players at the top, it's a little tougher to criticize teams for not optimizing their spending in the bonus pool. Uh, any other day three picks to mention or later names that we haven't talked through here? Um, Tristan Dietrich in the 18th round was kind of interesting to me. Um, but yeah, anything anything else for you? They didn't sign Dietrich, but it would have been nice if they did. Yeah, so I I actually have two. Um, one was their last oh. pick on day two. Um, the second was a middle of day three guy. Um, tenth round pick Xavier Meacham from North Carolina A and T. He's been really um, good in pro He ball. was always kind of viewed as an under. Yeah, he's always been viewed and always was viewed as a little bit of an under the radar guy in scouting circles the stuff was always really impressive just again command and strike throwing was a little bit of an issue he can really spin his breaking ball um this year again at north carolina a t rather modest um but early returns so far in pro ball have been outstanding the strike throwing has has taken a step forward at least you can i guess you can call it a step forward even though it's only been 20 innings um or 20 and a third but um, 28 Ks to 12 walks um, with a 260 RA. Again, the calling card with Meacham is ability to spin the breaking ball. 
Um, and then the fastball, I think, has been up to 95, 96-ish. Um, so I think it's really intriguing upside there with him. Um, and then Nigel Belgrave in the 15th, a reliever out of Maryland. Um, 6'4", 195, pretty physical kid. He had an impressive week this past week, especially with Jupiter. Um, that kind of reminded me that the Marlins got him, so I decided to dig deeper. Um, again, someone that the strike throwing is going to have to, I think, progress and continue to progress. Um, but so far, it's been a really effective reliever for the hammerheads of Jupiter. 14 Ks in eight innings, um, mid to high 90s fastball. Um, so those are two guys that both based on who they are as players and then track record or I guess performance so far, um, mm-hmm. I think that the Marlins can be happy about. And then sandwiched in between those two, um, I guess, pure stuff over command guys is 11th rounder Jake Brooks from UCLA. Um, dealt with an injury uh, that kind of hindered him, I'd say, for the better part of you know last year and then maybe this year a little bit. But he's a strike thrower. He'll only be up to you know 89, 92 with a fastball. It'll kind of sink and dive out of the strike zone. He throws nothing straight. Um, sliders average. Strike throwing is the calling card. It's not a super, super sexy pick, I'd say. Um, it is probably fifth starter upside with Brooks. Um, but I think that you can be happy about the strike throwing. He's got a good body. Um, six, four, two, ten. I think the key with him is going to be staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe getting some better shape out of that slider because the changeup has flash plus, um, in the fastball, it doesn't get a ton of swing and miss, but he throws nothing straight. Um, and if you can get the slider into even an above average pitch, I think it'll go a long way for his arsenal. Yeah. Well said, Peter. I appreciate the insight on those guys. Um, uh, that's all I had on the Marlins. Let's move on to the Mets. Uh, they're one of two teams, along with the Dodgers, who had their first-round pick dropped 10 spots for exceeding the um, bonus pool, or not the bonus pools, the uh, the luxury tax. So they picked number 32 overall for their first selection. Um, they also had a couple extra picks after the fourth round. Um, so let's run through there. So they had three, technically three uh, fourth-round picks so a few extra ones. They also had um, a pick in the third round for failing to sign Brandon Spro a year ago. Uh, so they had a few extra picks to work through, but they took Colin Houck, Georgia shortstop, Georgia high school shortstop in the first round. Uh, technically the first round, I guess if you want to call that supplemental, that works too, 32 overall. They took Brandon Spro once again in the second round this year. They said you were definitely going to be a New York Met after not signing him a year ago. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher out of Florida. In the third round, out of Oklahoma State University, they took two-way player Nolan McLean, who was additionally a player who was drafted last year and did not sign. Um, their next pick at 101, another third-round pick, Cade Morris, a uh, pitcher out of Nevada. Then they had three picks in the fourth round. It was Wyatt Hudipol, shortstop A.J. Ewing, and then Austin Trosser out of Missouri. And their fifth round pick to round this all out was Grand Canyon University pitcher Zach Thornton. Uh, so a ton of names to go through here in addition to a number of intriguing players beyond that. The Mets stood out to me more than any other team in targeting priority older players. They had a number of 22 year olds who are technically senior sign types, but are certainly more than just money savers. Brandon Sprout and McLean are both kind of the epitome of that. I also thought taking Noah Hall in the seventh round, 
Um, and then in the ninth round, taking Nick LaRusso. They really took a lot of these players who have real tools, real talent, who are seniors. Um, but maybe you get a little bit better cost control with those players than you otherwise would have. Um, just looking through some of the bonuses here. It's not a ton of savings. Noah Hall signed for about $60,000 under slot in the seventh round. LaRusso signed for $125,000 under slot in the ninth round. But both Sprode and McLean went for straight up slot value in the second round and third round. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that they had so many of those players who I think are still really valuable prospects. They, they don't fit in the typical senior sign mold, but it's interesting they had so many of those types. Um, but I'll let you jump in here. What, what stands out to you about the Mets draft? Yeah, I, I'd say I'm a, I'm a sneaky fan of, of this draft class that they got. I mean, you're, you'll be more well-versed in Colin Houck than I am. Um, but I saw my, a nice, one of my favorite value picks. And I think he was probably my favorite just straight up high school shortstop in this class of a, a really good group of high school shortstops. So I think him at 32 is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to, you can go more in depth on him, but I, I saw a clean operation in the box with plus bat speed. He's a performer at, at these high profile events. He performed well at area code and East coast pro um, above average runner. who's a great athlete. Um, I like the body a lot. Again, you're going to be more well-versed in him. So you can maybe go a bit more in depth on who he is. Yeah. The, he's a, a two, a two sport athlete, a really talented high school quarterback. He plays at Parkview high, which is maybe the most recognizable Georgia high school in the country. I mean, they are a multi uh, team of the year winner at baseball America. They produce a lot of really good talent in the past. So it's, it's not some under the radar school there. He was one of the most impressive names last summer. I don't, I think he was not the most highly regarded Georgia prospect entering the summer, but he certainly was after leaving. Like you said, his performance there was really impressive. I think it's just, solid average or better tools across the board it wouldn't shock me if it was straight 55s across the board it's a good athlete on the left side of the infield i think he's got a chance to stick at shortstop if if the body gets a little bit bigger i think he's got the tools to play a really athletic third base um, it's highlight real plays diving grabs big arm strength and just a solid hit power combination it's mostly doubles power right now but he has turned on a few balls with wood i think as he adds strength and gets to his physical maturity uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see him with, with 50 or 55 power as well. So I just thought it was a really well-rounded, athletic, high school shortstop who performed against good pitching. And that's typically a really good demographic and, and one that I find myself really liking. So if you're starting off the draft with him at pick 32, I'm going to probably be a fan of what you're doing. And I think, like you said, I'm, I'm probably also a, a fan of a, what is a pretty sneaky good draft class. Yeah, and, and I think that you have me now completely sold on the Hauk pick, and it sounds like getting him <laughs> at 32 is um, it's going to look really good um, in a year or, or three. Um, but I think moving on to Sprout, I, getting him, again, at 56, kind of like Hauk at 32, um, I think that it's a pretty pretty good spot to land an arm talent like Brandon Sprout. Um, you mentioned him getting picked by the Mets last year. Didn't end up signing, goes back to Florida and held down that rotation with Hurst and Waldrop. They were arguably the best one, two punch, um, in the country, at least in terms of sheer stuff. Um, but 134 strikeouts and 106 innings pitched. Um, I think that he was inconsistent in his command at times, um, lacked some feel, but when he was on, 
I mean, he looked as good as any arm in the country. Fastball is 96 to 100, up to 101, and it just explodes out of his hand with tons of life through the zone. Um, the changeup is a plus pitch, borderline double plus with a ton of arm side fade. Um, the slider is also a plus pitch. When you start to put these guys in buckets of you know who has three legitimate plus pitches in the draft class, um, you're not going to get a lot of names there. And I think that Sprout is one of them. Waldrop is certainly another. Um, but when you're looking at Sprout's ceiling, um, there's obviously some risk associated with this pick um, just in terms of where he is long-term, but like it is one or two starter upside. Um, and I think that having him fall into their laps again at 56, um, it's it, 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 it has a chance to work out really well. And then I think with McLean in the third at 91, um, I have my own opinions on, on, on that pick. Um, I, I think that McLean has, you know, he's been known for his unbelievable raw power at the plate. That's who he is. He's kind of a one trick pony, um, yeah, in the box, There's a ton hitting. of swing and miss. Exactly. I'm with you. <laughs> I, he, so far they've let him do both. Um, but I, I think that he, you know, long-term the arm talent is pretty exciting, um, with McLean. He's certainly a reliever, um, in my opinion, but big time velo showed feel. And I think spun a few plus sliders. Um, I, I think that it's an interesting pick in the third. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's a, it's a fun player type, um, that, that fans, I think will have fun following through the system. Yeah. I I think Nolan McLean to me is like the, the best example of player who's like a, a a viable two-way player as an amateur, but, I just wish players like this would would realize where their upside was in the future earlier so that they could focus on their better side. And for him, I definitely think it's as a pitcher. Like, he has a legitimate fastball, legitimate breaking ball, a workhorse frame, a pretty good delivery. Like, there is a ton to like for him as a pitcher. And I don't even think he was a very good just pure hitter in college with just the contact questions that he has. I just don't see any way for that bat to play in pro ball. I mean, right now he's sitting with, it's only 24 plate appearances. Again, we talk about this for a lot of these guys, small sample for, for just a performance, but it's already a 45% strikeout rate in pro ball as a college guy. So I just don't, I just don't think he's ever going to get to the real plus raw power that he has in game. And I do think there's real upside here as a pitcher. So I'm really hopeful that he can start focusing on pitching soon in his broker because I am very excited about him as a pitcher, maybe more than than you seem to be on the mound, Peter. But man, it's just it makes the <laughs> it makes the overall evaluation a little bit trickier when I just have absolutely no faith in the hitting ability, and I'm really intrigued and wish we had more of a sample of him actually getting on the mound and pitching. Yeah, the the arm talent is unbelievable, and I think that it would have been hard to make this adjustment after a sophomore year in which he hit 285 with. 16 doubles and 19 bombs um, was hitting the heart of that really impressive Oklahoma state lineup. But after that sophomore year, I would have made the difficult choice to really, really focus on pitching, maybe not go PO um, at that point, but to really put an emphasis on the pitching, because as you mentioned, um, the arm talent is really, really exciting. Um, So I I think that he's going to be a fun one to watch um, and see how the pitching progresses um long term but they kind of went 
I mean, they have him listed as the, as a third baseman on the the draft selection, but I mean, I, again, but they they took a, a a slew of college arms in the middle round, sandwiched with AJ Ewing, who um, I I like Ewing a lot. Um, I really like the swing. He's got really quick hands. He's a twitchy player. Um, again, you might be able to go more in depth on him, but he was a high school guy when I saw him get picked in the fourth that I was hoping they'd be able to sign because I really liked him. Yeah, I think A.J. Ewing was always a, a player that the Ben was particularly high on. I know he really loved the the hitting ability. I mean, Ewing is not the most physically imposing player like, like a Nolan McLean actually is. He's pretty small and thin, uh, but the bat speed and the power that he's shown despite that size in high school has been impressive. It's a pretty big swing with some moving parts, uh, but he's done a nice job using his hands, getting on plane, firing through the zone, making a lot of contact. Um, so it's it's been like a kind of surprisingly impactful hitter despite that physicality. I think it's probably more of a second base than a shortstop at the next level. But if you think he's going to add a little bit more strength, if you really buy into the hit tool like I know Ben does, it's a middle infielder that you think can be a solid defender, runs a little bit. Um, and I guess just depending on the power that he gets to will really determine the role. He's not a ton different than another high school infielder. They took a few picks later in the eighth round in Boston Barrow. They signed him actually for a little bit more than AJ Ewing. Uh, Ewing signed for 675,000. Boston Barrow signed for 700,000. Uh, Barrow was another player who is kind of uh, behind the curve a little bit, just physically. He's, he's very underdeveloped. He's going to need to add strength. That's maybe the biggest question with him now, but He's got a really clean, smooth, left-handed swing, solid tools across the board. It's it's more of a line drive and a level swing now, um, but good contact ability, solid swing decisions. It's good actions in the infield. I think probably a better chance to actually stick at shortstop. Uh, above average arm strength maybe is the key there for him. Not quite the runner that Ewing has been, but just does a lot of things well. I, I don't think there's a ton of difference between like the player that Barrow is now and, and say like a Mikey Romero type, another kind of smaller hit first California shortstop, although Romero certainly was more prominent um, at the same time. Uh, but he's another player where if you can dream on some physicality being added, there are a lot of things to like. And I think his skill set as a baseball player is, is fairly advanced. Um, so those are two kind of interesting uh, prep guys. Yeah, I, I certainly am a believer in Ewing's hit tool. I know that he's going to really have to hit, especially with him probably being a second baseman long-term and being a hit over power guy, even if he does that impact. But um, I know that, again, when I saw him go off the board, that um, he's a guy that piqued my interest. And then I, I, looking at a lot of these college arms that they took, um, it's hard to pick one to kind of talk about. Cade Morris was a – he. He exploded onto the scene um, starting last summer when he outdueled Carson Wisenhunt in that first start of the Cape League season. Um, he made, really made a name for himself and established himself as um, one of the premier arms in the 23 class after that. Um, he was up to 97. Slider was pretty good, um, at least in that start. But um, he threw for Nevada in the Mountain West, which notoriously is – at least for my money's worth, the hardest conference to pitch in. Um, every single yard is is a launch pad. <laughs> um, and he was initially going to transfer to TCU from Nevada, um, but that um, ended up falling through. So he stayed 
with the Wolf Pack this spring. Um, again, fastball was 93 to 96. The slider was, it flashed above average. I think the key for him is going to be the continued development of his secondary stuff um, and getting more misses with his fastball because his fastball got hit um, really at all levels. That was the, the one bugaboo, even on the Cape. Um, guys were hitting it pretty hard with wood. So I think, you know, getting some more action, getting more life on it, um, will go a long way for Morris. And then Austin Trozer in the fourth straight Mm. reliever in my mind. Um, but an impressive fastball slider combination again, two plus pitch kind of guy fastball up to 98, um, with really good traits. And then Zach Thornton from grand Canyon. He's a Juco transfer. Yeah, I, I like him a lot, too. Again, upside-wise, it's back of the rotation. Um, but he was outstanding this year for the Antelopes. Um, high three-quarter slot. There's some natural deception in his, I, I think, a pretty up-tempo delivery. He's a strike thrower. Um, gets some pretty good natural tilt and um, keeps hitters off balance. I think the fastball plays up from its 89 to 91 or 2 um, velo just due to him hiding the ball really well. Um, and I think that the curveball, even though he didn't throw it a lot, um, I liked that. I, I thought that was his better secondary pitch as opposed to his slider. Um, it has pr- bigger shape. Hmm. Um, so I think that's um, a really intriguing one there in the fifth. Yeah, kind of as you're talking through all these players, I think it's it's kind of gone a little under my radar just how much talent the Mets are able to add this year with all these picks. I like a lot of the players – and, and one last guy that I'll mention, because we have spent a lot of time on specific players here, and then I'll let you see if there's any day three guys you like. But a name that was always super fascinating to me ever since I really got notice of him is seventh rounder Noah Hall out of South Carolina. He was a senior sign. I think he probably would have been a top five rounds guy if he hadn't dealt with some back injuries that, that really ended his season early. He didn't pitch after a March 31st outing against Mississippi State. Um, but he sits in the 90, 95 mile per hour range with his fastball, will touch a six, has a low 80s changeup and a mid 80s slider. The changeup specifically is what's really fascinating to me about Hall. It's a super high spin changeup, which you don't see very often. It's almost like Devin Williams esque. Uh, and I think it's a legitimate 70 grade pitch. It was nearly a 30% usage rate, and he got a 55% whiff rate with the pitch. It's just. Huge spin rates, a ton of arm side movement and drop. It's almost like a, a screwball at times with the amount of movement that it has towards his arm side. And it's been a true out pitch for him against both righties and lefties. So just that like unique change up for Hall was, was pretty fascinating. And he pitched really well in a starting capacity this spring uh, before he got limited. Now, he is older. The medical will add some complications to this. It's not huge fastball velocity, um, but just having a pitch like that changeup that Hall has is is super exciting to me right off the bat. So hopefully he can get healthy and we can see that in pro ball and see how it plays. Yeah, I'm really happy you mentioned Hall. Um, again, someone, like you said, was super impressive before the injury. I'm kind of happy that the Mets weren't super, super scared off by it because, as you mentioned, um, from these eyes as well, um, it was a, a borderline seven changeup with those super unique spin traits, almost like you said, um, Devin Williams in terms of the spin. So hmm. I think getting someone like that in the seventh where if he was healthy, could have gone as early as maybe even the late third round. I think that they can be really, really happy with that. 
and they they got him for 180,000. So I think that's a win um, in a lot of areas for the Mets. And then on day three, um, one, when running down this class, I was impressed, but even talking it through, um, I, I'm even more impressed. Obviously pitching heavy, um, but there are a couple of arms um, that, and they'll be relievers long-term. So I, I know you can only get so excited about it, but Brett Banks from UNC Wilmington um, is one guy that they got in the 11th um, with super, super impressive stuff. I think that he was one of the leaders, if not the leader on, um, you know, college stuff plus leaderboards um, with 44 Ks and 38 innings, fastballs up to 99, um, really impressive slider um, when he has a feel for it. Um, again, pitchability is a little lacking, but again, fastball slider combination that both are plus pitches and you're betting on the upside here with banks. And then in the 17th, a little bit of a deeper pull here, Bryce Jenkins from Tennessee, um, didn't pitch a ton for Tennessee this year, just, you know, given the personnel that they have, um, the, again, 24 K's and 16 innings, uh, fastball when I saw him. So he pitched for the Cape this year, pitched on the Cape this year. Um, prior to the draft, which I think that really, really helped him and establish himself as a draft pick. Um, fastball is up to 95 with really impressive spin traits and, and other metrics. And then the slider is a legit plus pitch, and he spun it consistently in the 28 to 3,000 range. Um, and he profiles as, as someone where if he can continue to throw strikes, where I know that it's been a little bit of a struggle in a minuscule sample size, um, you could kind of see him sneak his way and creep his way, um, up through the system. I think that they got a real steal there in the 17th because, um, if he had the normal workload and was relied on as, as heavily as other setup and, and closers around college baseball, he probably goes, um, in the 12th to 12th to 14th round range. Hmm. Yeah. So that is the Mets. I think kind of like you said, as we've talked through this class, I found myself liking it more and more. There's a lot of really quality prospects added to the system that maybe don't get as much hype as some other players, but really like a lot of traits and skills and, and tools from a number of them. A lot of really exciting arms in addition to some, some fun and maybe more typical high school shortstop profiles mixed in that group. So let's move on to the Nationals, the last team in the NL East. Um, Every year, there are a few teams that really have a draft that, that just feels like that sort of organization's draft. I think the 2023 Nationals draft really feels like the Nationals, to me at least. They took a lot of powerful, toolsy athletes, and they also were maybe the best example of a team that spends early and saves later when the most common strategy seems to be that portfolio approach where you take a deal early on and spread your money around. The Nationals basically did the exact opposite of that. They took Dylan Cruz, number two overall, who we had as the top overall player on the board. Again, uh, I think the top three players especially, you could say are pretty close, and that the top five group of players overall was kind of viewed as that elite group of talent. They took Johanny Morales on an overslot deal in the second round. Uh, then they took Travis Sikora in the third round uh, to a pretty significant overslot deal. Um, fourth and fifth rounders, they took Andrew Pinckney, uh, senior in the fourth round. Then they took Marcus Brown, uh, a shortstop in the fifth round. After those players in the sixth to 10 round range for the Nationals, it was all senior signs for 20,000 a pop. 
basically to, to make sure the team got their top three players signed. Um, so a really aggressive strategy, almost like a stars and scrubs approach that really, uh, I think the Nationals had a reputation for on the big league team when they won their, their World Series. So it's kind of funny to see the draft pan out like that as well. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the Nationals? Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I like the class um, so far. And these are guys that in at least early on have been performing really well um, in affiliated baseball, obviously starting with Dylan Cruz. Everyone knows who Cruz is at this point. There's really, mm. you know, no use in talking about him um, too, too <laughs> much. But beautiful operation at the plate. It's easy plus bat speed, hammers the baseball all fields. Um, um, good athlete out in center where they – I think that they're going to plan on having him stick there. I know that he's played. I, I think that in his 17 games in Harrisburg, it's been 13 in center, four in right. Um, so they plan on having him in center long-term, um, drives the ball with authority at all fields. Um, I think that right now it's a little bit hit over power, and I think that's what he's going to be um, for his career. But the hit tool is really, really impressive. Um, approach is outstanding. And you, when you have that feel for the barrel um, with the bat speed that he does, it's a – it's an impressive combination and they've, and rightfully so he's, he's hit his way to double a already um, where it's been a little bit of an adjustment. I'd say double a, at least talent wise is the closest thing you're going to get to major league baseball. A um, little bit more swing and miss. Um, but again, it's, I mean, you're going from for as impressive as the sec is um, getting to double a that soon after college um, there's going to be an adjustment period and it's such an old cliche and an old adage, but, uh, baseball is really, really hard and, um, it's normal to go through a little bit of an adjustment period. And then, yeah, with, I think with just to add on to Cruz really quickly, like who's the number one player in a really outstanding draft class for a reason. I think I, I don't know a player who I've had as much conviction in their just offensive profile overall that I've had with a player like Cruz. Like, I think he has every physical tool and skill that you need to succeed as a hitter. It's tremendous bat speed. It's tremendous vision. It's really strong swing decisions. It's a ton of raw power. I do agree with you. I think it'll probably be more hit over power, but I'm curious how that evolves because I do think it's pretty easy 60 raw power when he turns on the ball. He just seems to have an approach where he's perfectly fine driving a line drive through the opposite uh, to the opposite field or, or hitting a hard ground ball up the middle. I know there's some criticism of the ground ball rate that he showed in college. I'm ultimately not too concerned with that. And I think the biggest change that I had with my evaluation of Cruz this spring, just being able to watch him more, is the center field defense is actually, I think it's really good. Uh, I, I think he can stick there long-term depending on who else is in the system. If you have some Kevin Kiermeyer type outfielder, then yeah, I think Cruz will probably be better off in a corner where he might be a plus defender, uh, but depending on who you're running out in center field at the major league level, I think Cruz could be a perfectly good um, defensive outfielder, and, and maybe I'm towards the optimistic range of that, but but he really impressed me with his defense, and I just think he's such a well-rounded prospect. I have extremely high confidence in him being a, an above-average big league regular with, with really likely all-star upside. I completely agree. Um, and with sticking in center, I was convinced. I, I mean, I had the privilege of watching him for almost two weeks um, in Omaha, and it was efficient routes to the baseball. It was pretty ample range in either gap. The off-the-bat reads were really, really impressive. 
Um, he looked extremely, extremely comfortable out there on the arm. It's not plus by any means, um, but it's, it's average or maybe even a tick below for center. Regardless, um, his arm is, it'll, it'll be fine out there um, in center long-term. And I'm, I'm with you that I'm still very, very convicted on him. Maybe the most convicted I am um, in a player in this draft class um, in terms of being an impact big leaguer. And and I'm with you that he is going to play in multiple all-star games when all said and done. Yeah. And moving on to Johanny Morales, um, he's been pretty tremendous in pro ball. I think, I mean, just as a prospect, the raw power, uh, the athleticism, the arm strength from the left side were always exciting. We talked about like comparing and contrasting him and Brock Wilkin this spring, some of the question marks we had about them. And, and maybe what's been most impressive to me uh, more than anything with Morales so far in his, his brief pro stint has just been the, the walk rate and the strikeout rate. Um, he's had a 420 OBP, I think, of this national draft class. Just in terms of the back of the baseball card statistics, he's been the best player He's not homered yet, but it's a ton of doubles. It's four triples. Um, and like I said, having a, a strikeout rate that's just 20% and a walk rate that's 9% pro ball for Morales, who I specifically had some kind of pitch recognition questions, I think is really encouraging. And if he's going to continue to maintain that sort of plate discipline with the physical tools that he has, I think he's got a, a pretty exciting amount of upside, particularly for a player who they got all the way down at pick 40, which I think was a little bit lower than I would have expected him to come off the board. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that early on that um, Morales is going to be a player that I will happily eat crow on. Cause I know during the spring that we discussed sort of him versus Brock Wilk. And I think I was on the Brock Wilkin mm-hmm. train and I think you were on the, the Morales um, wave. And- yeah. But I, I even can't claim to be super high. Cause I remember being kind of skeptical of both so even if i did pick Morales, i think probably because of his just base of athleticism uh, but both those guys are doing pretty good in pro ball right now so what do we know <laughs> yeah no exactly like you mentioned with yo-yo it's he's blessed with a great body tons of physical tools it was super super easy impact at miami um and i know it's com- a, a very different ball game with metal but i mean he was flicking balls and they were 108 to 110 miles an hour off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, he's, he's got a, a, a quick set of hands. Um, like you said, no Homer so far, um, but he's finding gaps and, and hitting well at, at a high level of affiliated baseball too. He's another guy that um, just recently played his first double a game. And then um, he was excellent in high a Wilmington and, and, and single a Fredericksburg. So, Again, early returns have been really positive on Morales, and if they can end up with two high-impact big leaguers down the road with their first two draft picks, um, this is going to be a draft class that, you know, not to get dramatic here, but could shape the future of the franchise in a really positive way. And then I think that continuing on that note, um, Andrew Pinckney is another guy um, that they got in the fourth, an outfielder from Alabama, um, Mm. 6'3", 200, again, Really good body, good athlete. It's a plus arm in right field where he's going to stick. Um, I I think it's plus raw power at the plate again with Morales. Um, he's got four home runs in 39 games, um, but I, I think it is plus power, and there's going to be more to come. Um, he's already up in Double A Harrisburg so far in 39 games um, between the complex and Double A. He's hitting 320 with eight doubles and four home runs, 36, 36 Ks and 153 at-bats. 
Um, he's got a super, super quick set of hands, um, really engaged lower half and an explosive backside. He was a guy that I was really excited watching this spring, just kind of seeing the gradual ascent on draft boards because I, I think getting him in the fourth um, is a is a bit of a steal. And, and so far, um, the results have been really positive with Pinkney. But again, you mentioned guys sticking at their positions and kind of viewing the from from early on the premium positions always have been and always will be up in the middle catcher shortstop center field what have you um but i think that second base is one that's being viewed as a premium position now um sticking in general on the left side of the infield is another really big positive one with morales who's looking like he's going to stick at third and then sticking in right field is another really positive one and i think that pinkney obviously um fits that mold um, mm. you know, he's got good actions out there in the plus throwing arm. So I think that these are three college guys that they can be very, very excited about early on. Yeah. And, and I'll circle back to the one high school player they took in this range. And it's funny, like talking about all these players, they, they took all of them are super physical and advanced. Like the fact that Dylan Cruz is the smallest player they took, um, of their first four is, is pretty funny. And Travis Sikora who's their one high school pick is their most physically advanced of the group. Six foot six, 220 pounds. Um, he was older for the class and he does fit that sort of scary high school right-handed pitcher demographic of just a very early hard thrower. He was throwing 100 miles per hour um, when he was a junior in high school. Probably the hardest throwing high school pitcher in this class. The fastball is consistently in the mid 90s, consistently up into the upper 90s. Um, so it's a chance for a 70 fastball. The secondaries are solid, but they were always kind of unusual secondary pitches. The sliders, this really short breaking mid eighties pitch that almost blended into his mid eighties split changeup at times. I remember being behind the dish watching Sakura pitch and there were times where depending on the angle you had, it was really hard to differentiate those pitches. Even when you had, I would say is the best view in baseball. So like, I'm not sure if that's even necessarily a problem because the slider against high school pitching uh, would get misses. And he did show pretty solid feel for both of those pitches, the slider and the split change at times. I think overall, solid control considering his stuff in high school. But the track record of players who are throwing this hard in high school is a shaky one. The Nationals have taken a lot of these high-risk pitchers in the past. Not all of them have panned out for them. So hopefully Sakura is able to kind of buck that trend. But I'm really curious to see, one, what the control is gonna be like in pro ball when he can't just overwhelm hitters with pure velocity. And then two, how the shape of his slider specifically changes if it does, or if it's effective just being this like short kind of cutter-ish breaking ball and just how that develops. So he's certainly a really fun pick. I wouldn't say he's my like particular cup of tea as a high school pitching prospect, but there's no doubting the sort of raw arm talent that he has. Yeah. And it, it's supreme arm talent. Like you mentioned, it's not like, I think, you know, again, it's not my cup of tea either. Um, you know, he's six, six, two thirty. He was 19 on draft day. Um, fastball again is probably the calling card, just given the, the premium velo there it's, you know, 98 to hundred touching 101 um, slider, really impressive. But when you kind of, peek under the hood a little bit um, and look behind the curtain. It's kind of high risk, 
likely reliever down the road, high school arm. Um, so there's some there's some obvious risk involved there um, with with Sycora. But I, I mm. think that looking further down the draft board, um, Marcus Brown, I like at Oklahoma State, can really pick it. He's going to have to really, really hit professionally because um, there's not a ton of power there at all. Um, but an exciting shortstop who's going to stick at the position again, it's just, it's going to be a matter of hitting, um, which we'll, we'll see if he's able to do, but, um, Gavin Dugas is another in the sixth. Um, I like getting again with Dugas older for the class, um, really just older in general. Um, nothing jumps out physically five ten one ninety eight, Um, but the intangibles with Dugas are really, really positive. Um, he's, he was a leader in an LSU locker room that had tons of stars. Um, he was a guy that, you know, was looked to, um, and viewed as the team captain, um, so to speak for the Tigers. And he performed really well. Um, again, as far as tool set goes, it's kind of average or a tick above, um, at best for his carrying tools, which I think that it's probably just the hit tool and a tick above average raw power, but. Um, the intangibles with Dugai kind of fits the mold where those might be the, the carrying um, tool, so to speak, with him. Um, but getting that guy in your organization, in, in your dugout, um, I think that he provides um, some value there. He's very, very old at 23, and they signed him for, I think it was 20K. Yeah, 20, every yeah, every so. player from, from 6 to 10 for the Nationals were 20K senior signs. And I'm also realizing as you're talking, I'm pretty sure I've been pronouncing Gavin's name incorrectly the entire time I've talked about him. I didn't realize the S was silent. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong too, because I've heard Dugas like on broadcast too. So mm, like, so I, I've maybe... only ever thought Dugas in my head, and I just tried to pull it up on LSU's roster. They, don't, they didn't have a pronunciation guide, but that would be kind of funny if just internally I'd been pronouncing and i guess saying his name incorrectly we'll have to figure out what the uh yeah i wish they i wish they did what like some schools do where they have the like the players say the name where you click yeah, the little ear that, thing that's it's like, always super useful uh, mm. um but uh but anyways uh in the 11th i really wish that they were able to sign him because um when you talk about upside oh yeah uh, your excitement in arms uh gavin adams fits that mold to a t um six three right-hander out of indian river community college um in florida uh, i mean six foot like his frame just oozes projection um fastball is up to 98 um spun a really tight slider that i thought um was a plus offering it got a ton of swing and miss um strike throwing with dugas i, I long term needs to take strides but we don't have to harp on someone who didn't sign but he was an interesting one in the 11th that I wish signed. Elijah Nunez in the 14th. Um, I'm glad you mentioned guy. Nunez. I really like him. He's kind of the, like a little bit of an old school style outfielder and slappy hitter with speed. But he was one of those players that I feel like every time I saw him in person, he really performed. And so like my personal view of him was always much more impressive than the actual numbers that he showed when he looked up at the end of the day. But he got on base a little bit. He, he stole some bases. I think it's pretty good defense in the outfield. It's just a really light bat, and I'm curious to see how that bat plays in pro ball. Just seeing what he's done so far. 281, 412, 303. Yeah, the I just don't think he's going to have much extra base ability at all. He really didn't show a lot in college. Um, 
only a few home runs in his total college career, but he's a very fun player to watch, I'll say. Yeah, he, he is very fun. He plays the game really, really hard. Um, like you said, it is a slash and dash approach. There's little to no impact there, especially with Wood. Um, he's a plus runner. Um, he's strong defensively. I just think that long-term he's going to end up in left field, which I think um, yeah, is a little bit of a... power is scary. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a ding to the profile, so you're going to really have to bet on him hitting, which... Um, so and, and the approach. The approach has been above average so far. Um, hitting, I think, is... I think you can just describe it as fine. Um, he's hitting 282 with more walks than Ks, which I think is encouraging. Um, he's been a, a weapon on the base pass 19 for 22 in stolen bases in 24 games. Um, again, though, I just think he's going to have to really, really hit. So, yeah. And he is um, a player that's going to benefit from the new rules, like stolen bases being more of a factor. Maybe he can carve out uh, a sort of backup role if he's this elite base runner, but there's at least more opportunities for a player of his type, but yeah, you're going to want to either see the approach be consistently above average um, and otherwise like improve the defensive grade and stick in center field. Like there's just not a lot of margin for error. I would say with a player like this, but again, it's a 14th rounder. He signed for 150,000. So uh, I wouldn't say there's a ton of pressure on him to become a big league regular. Yeah. I, there's really no risk associated with the pick. It's only upside. So it was maybe a little unfair to, to um, <laughs> rip apart the game that much, but um yeah, it was an overall exciting class. There was a, a a few arms that they took too later on that um, piqued my interest. Austin Amaral in the 16th and Merrick Baldo in the 17th, um, respectively. Um, two college performers. Um, Amaral at Stetson. Um, breaking ball is really impressive. Um, Baldo at Loyola Marymount so far again. Um, he's been throwing the ball really well in Fredericksburg. So... Uh, I think that for the Nationals and the Mets, um, while the 2023 seasons were anything but um, impressive, I think that they each, especially the Nationals, um, can be pretty excited about what's coming down the road. Um, even if it is two to two to five years, I think that they have an exciting crop of, of prospects. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that ties a really nice bow on our National League East draft reviews, Peter. So well done. Um, yeah, do you have a preference for any of these? It sounds like we're really big on Nationals and Mets. Do you, you think Braves, Phillies, or Marlins uh, would compete with that? I think Mets. Oh, man, when all of a sudden... Because it's, it's, it's hard when you're... It's hard comparing a team that picks two versus a team that picks 32, but, man, the extra picks that the Mets got and a number of players that I'm just, like, personally high on... Uh, I'm a really big fan of their class, even though the, the Hurston Waldrop pick with the Braves still might be my favorite individual pick of this entire division. Yeah, I like their class a lot. And and you brought up a good point. When you pick so high, you know, in the one through five range, you're going to end up with a headliner that's going to kind of carry your draft class, at least in these early conversations. Um, but I, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go with the Nationals. Um, I really like the college bats that they got. Um, maybe one of these senior signs pans out and then a later round guy. I think that overall, um, you know, I, I do like the Mets better, um, but I'll, I'll stick with the Nats. Awesome. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just go Mets in that case and we can, we can shake it up and give some <laughs> love to the teams at the bottom of the division here. So yeah, here's to a better 2024 and beyond for those, for those clubs. But uh, as we move forward, Peter, anything to uh, plug or sign off with before we get out of here? 
Yeah. Um, as always, regardless of the level that you fall the most, um, Baseball America has you covered for whatever you want. And at least personally, what I'm working on, um, kind of rolling out these freshman spotlight pieces, going to hopefully have my second one up tomorrow. It'll be completed by tomorrow. Um, hopefully it'll go up then. Um, we're going to go with a a pitcher that I think is going to have a pretty high impact at his respective school um, this spring. Tell me it's Cam. Gonna... Tell me it's Cam. <laughs> it might be a lefty whose name rhymes with oh. um, James Johnson. Um, oh, but uh, it's, it, it, it's been fun diving deep on these guys. Uh, the plan is to do two a week and then um, kind of as fall practices and fall games start, um, see who's who's kind of sticking out. Well, awesome. Um, thank you for that, Peter. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thanks to all the BA subscribers out there that allow us to do what we do. You guys, you guys make it happen. So we really appreciate that. Uh, and then we'll see you next uh, next week for the National League Central. Two more of these for the kind of completion of our draft review series in the podcast. But that will not end the draft podcast. We'll be back weekly to talk about the draft. Uh, in some capacity, whether that's reviewing other draft classes or looking ahead to 2024. Um, so for Peter, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.